Happy Friday, Story Fam. I hope you've had a great week as the summer winds to a close at last. Uh, we've got a, a lot of new things going on at the story that I'm super excited about. A lot of new ministries about to launch, like our new men's ministry called Leading Men, uh, as well as our new church-wide Bible study on the book of Galatians that's starting next Wednesday night. Super exciting. So I hope if you're looking for ways to meet new people while learning more about Jesus, that you'll check out the story.church our website uh, to learn more. That's the story.church. All right, guys, uh, I want to talk about the Bible a little bit today, generally speaking, um, because I think there's a lot of confusion about the Bible. Some of y'all may not know one of the reasons we decided to name this church, the story is because I think the idea of the Bible uh, is often the, the biggest stumbling block in the way of people who are finding their way back to Jesus or finding their way to him for the first time. They, they get the, the feelings of uh, God's love, but when they approach God's word, there's some kind of a block there. And so I think we have to be able to talk about the Bible with, uh, with one another in ways that really pique people's interest and curiosity without alienating them. And, and so the question was on my mind, if somebody asked you to tell them what the Bible is about in one simple word or phrase, what would you say? I mean, you'd have to say something about love, right? The Bible is, is a book about love. The Bible is a love story, something along those lines. Because other themes rise and fall in Scripture. But there's one common thread found in every patch of the biblical tapestry. Love. Love infuses the Scriptures, cover to cover, from the fourth chapter of Genesis when the first two people God made, made love to each other, to the 20th chapter of the book of Revelation, when God expressed love for his city rising up and 684 other times in scripture, love is mentioned in places like John 3:16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Or when Jesus said, greater love has no man than this, that he lays down his life for his friends. Or when Paul wrote, now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Now. This is an assumption many Christians make, but not everyone agrees that the Bible is about love. Richard Dawkins, perhaps the most outspoken atheist in the world, once said, the God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all fiction. American revolutionary and philosopher Thomas Paine once wrote, it is not a God just and good, but a devil that the Bible describes. The late author Christopher Hitchens opined, the Bible does contain a warrant for trafficking in humans, for ethnic cleansing, for slavery, for bride price, and for indiscriminate massacre, but we are not bound by any of it because it was put together by crude, uncultured human mammals. So these guys would not agree with my assumption about the Bible being about love. The animosity that some people feel toward the Bible is mostly understandable, I guess, but we may also wonder why so many people who don't care for this book or the God it represents seem to be unable to stop talking about it. Why are so many atheists and agnostics so obsessed with scripture, with the Bible? You know, is it because the Bible is an easy target? Probably. Is it because humiliating Christians sells a lot of books? Perhaps. But it could also be that the love of God in the Bible poses a threat to pre-existing worldviews. No? I think so. 
Guys like Dawkins, Payne, and Hitchens claim to live according to the laws of reason. They see everything through a materialistic Darwinian lens. Everything must be proven, even love. And reasonable people must never believe in something without sufficient empirical evidence. In a letter he wrote to his 10-year-old daughter, Richard Dawkins attempted to explain love from his rational perspective. And this is a quote to his 10-year-old daughter, all right, that he wrote. People sometimes say that you must believe in feelings deep inside, otherwise you'd never be confident of things like, my wife loves me. But this is a bad argument. There can be plenty of evidence that somebody loves you. All through the day, when you are with somebody who loves you, you see and hear lots of little tidbits of evidence, and they all add up. It isn't a purely inside feeling, like the feeling that priests call revelation. There are outside things to back up the inside feeling. Looks in the eye, tender notes in the voice, little favors and kindnesses. This is all real evidence. Okay, while I appreciate Dawkins's effort to make room for love in his otherwise emotionally indifferent worldview, there are some obvious problems with his definition of love. If evidence is required to prove that you love someone, how much evidence is necessary? And how often much must such evidence be produced? If you looked your wife in the eye and spoke to her with tender notes in the voice on your wedding day, but you haven't done so again since then, do you love her? You've got the wedding pictures and videos that prove how you looked at her and spoke to her that day. Real evidence. But is that love? You might be thinking, well, people fall out of love all the time. It might have been real love on the wedding day, but things change. Fair enough. But what if every day for 20 years, a man looks his wife in the eye and speaks tenderly to her, offering evidence of his love for her. But then he falls into a deep depression and suddenly lacks the resources to prove his love as he once did. Should we say he no longer loves her? Or that his wife now has a license to stop loving him? Or what if, as was the case in many past generations, the man went off to war and was unable to write home for months or even years at a time? If he still thinks of her, dreams of her, and prays for her every day, but she can't see or hear him, does he love her? In the absence of real evidence, is Dawkins prepared to say this man's wife is unloved? Or what if, for years, a man shows his wife real evidence of love, sincere glances, tender words, and flowers every Valentine's Day, but all the while, unbeknownst to her, he has a mistress across town? Despite all her evidence to the contrary, it's safe to say that she was never really loved at all. Love cannot be reduced to mere data and facts. To believe in love requires faith, and therein lies the problem for Dawkins and his friends. Although they claim to be committed to a strictly scientific worldview, they can't stop believing in love. No one can. The Bible offers no shortage of well-known extraordinary claims. But scripture's most audacious proposition is found hidden away in a little-known letter toward the end of the New Testament. God is love. Even if you're not a believer, this is an absolutely stunning claim. The Bible doesn't just say God gives love, or God wants love, or God expects love. The outrageous Christian claim is that God is love. Love is God's essence. Love is not God. 
But love is the essence of God. Love isn't what God does. Love is who God is. In every section of scripture, the love of God shines through the world's darkness. I once heard a preacher say that when Paul wrote his most famous lines about love, the most famous lines about love in the whole Bible, right? 1 Corinthians 13. You've all heard at every wedding you've ever attended, love is patient, love is kind, etc., etc. But this preacher said that when Paul wrote those words, it wasn't just the emotion of love that he had in mind. It wasn't marriage or romantic love that he had in mind. That actually wouldn't even make sense in the context of the rest of 1 Corinthians. Chapter 12 is all about the body of Christ and how the church relates to each other. And chapter 14 is all about worshiping Christ. And so why would Paul interrupt this deep teaching about Jesus with a sappy love poem in chapter 13? I don't think he did. No, I think Paul was still writing about Jesus in 1 Corinthians 13. In fact, I think that's the only way to make sense of Paul's most famous passage. For Paul, Jesus is the perfect representation of love. So whenever you read the love chapter, try replacing the word love with Jesus. And what you'll find is the most comprehensive description in the entire Bible of who Jesus really is. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. He does not envy. He does not boast. He is not proud. He does not dishonor others. He is not self-seeking. Jesus is not easily angered. He keeps no record of wrongs. Jesus does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Jesus always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Jesus never fails. Brothers and sisters, thank you all for joining me for today's Friday Grace and Truth. I hope this has been a blessing to you as you prepare for your weekend, and I hope you have a great Labor Day weekend. I'll see you Sunday morning for online worship at 8.45, 9.45, or 11.05 as we talk about the very important, difficult topic of abortion in America. For the first time ever, we're broaching this topic, so I'd love you all to join me Sunday morning. Have a great weekend. Bye, everybody.